Hey people, welcome to episode six of Parents Are People. Yes, yes, like I said, this is this is episode six. And I'm super excited because that means for six weeks, that is me being consistent, putting out this work that I believe so much in and being able to share the stories of my guests with you all, with the listeners. And I really hope that you guys are taking something from this, being able to apply it to your lives, being able to share it with someone that you love. But that's six weeks of this, man. I'm excited about that. I'm going to have some additional announcements coming up in March as Parents Our People continues to grow. And I'm excited to share that news with you all as well. Good stuff going on around this way. This week, this episode, I have my guest, Tony. She comes on to talk to us about motherhood, about the journey of maternity and the process of growth that has to occur in order to provide for a new life. And of course, I love this interview as I love all my others, but I really appreciate her vulnerability in all of this and sharing her personal stories and experiences with us to add layers, to add more color and depth to this journey of parenting that we talk about. I hope y'all enjoy. Happy listening. Hey, Tony. Hey, how are you? I'm good. So today, guys, I have my good friend, Tony, on here. I invited you because, one, you're awesome, really great at expressing your thoughts all the way through, and you have really great thoughts on and perspective on parenting and maternity and life (laughs) and and so many things. And we always have such really good in-depth conversations that I think are beneficial to people outside of us as well. So, (laughs) So tell us. A little bit about yourself. Great folks. Yes, I'll talk. I'm a mother. My daughter is six years old. I'm a licensed professional therapist. When I do have time, I do like to indulge in modeling. And I like have the aptitude to like interact with people and do artistic things. But outside of that, I have like a close, I guess a close knit set of friends, but really just home and work, home and work. And my daughter. Awesome. Thank you. Today, we're here to kind of talk about the journey of maternity, the process that a woman's body goes through in really mind, body, spirit, lifestyle, in order to prepare for this new life. And then also some of the after effects that happen and some of the nuances that people experience, especially being a woman of color, being a Black woman, specifically in our medical system. Yeah. As some of the effects of that. Now, when you said medical effects of being a black woman, the first thing that popped in my head is like, even me as a as an educated black woman with private insurance, I'm more likely to die giving childbirth. Mm-hmm. And that's the same for like a lot of my friends. A lot of my friends are women of color. A lot of my friends are educated. And some of them have had kids. And we've talked about some of the experiences that we've had at the hospital. Mm-hmm. And 
they have not always been great. So I'm glad that that's something that we're going to touch on because even my personal experience, I did have a near-death experience and I haven't talked about this with many. I actually haven't talked about this at all, actually. I almost died giving birth to Aura. I think about that moment where if they would not have been taking me seriously, which initially they were not, I would actually not be here today. And so it is, it is our mortality rate. That is a real thing. Breastfeeding. Black women were less likely to breastfeed past six weeks, past a year. It's frowned upon. So even that, me breastfeeding Aura. So she was, and I dare say it, she was three. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you almost have to hide it because it's like a secret cult of mothers. Like this really is actually not supported. So that's a very like interesting thing. What you what you said already just has me kind of like, oh wow, those are <laughs> those are real things. And I was looking up some specific stats that's on that too on maternal mortality rates. This is stats from 2018. It's a rate of 17% is what they're saying. So out of 100,000 pregnancies, approximately 660 had maternal deaths. Wow. And that's not even breaking down the racial disparities. Hey, it's Ashley here in a little more recent time since the interview. And I wanted to jump in to give some more solid facts. So according to the CDC, they're showing a report to update numbers from 2018 and 2019. So in 2020, 861 women were identified as having died of maternal causes in the United States compared to 754 in 2019. So that's an increase of over 100 women. Now, to be fair, 2020 was a rough year and COVID could have been something that exacerbated that. But those are still some pretty high numbers. The maternal mortality rate for 2020 was 23.8 deaths per 100,000 live births as compared to 20.1 in 2019. To go even further, in 2020, the maternal mortality rate for black women was 55.3 deaths per 100,000 live births. That's 2.9 times the rate of non-Hispanic white women. That's a pretty daggum high rate. Currently, the U.S. is ranked the highest for maternal mortality out of top 10 so-called wealthy countries. The U.S. is at the highest in maternal mortality rates and has been the highest for years. For years, it continues to increase. Back to the interview. When we talk about maternal mortality, it's not just women dying in necessarily childbirth, the birthing process, even up to a year after that, from the after effects of birth and not getting the care that's needed, the extra stress, I mean, all the things. Mm -hmm. And it's such a huge problem. And yet people, like the, the words for it are really just starting to form. Yeah, it's almost like it's embedded in the, unfortunately, in the medical community that uh, our pain, it doesn't necessarily, I guess, have a face. So it's not always taken seriously. And so I can even, like I said, I'm going to give you some personal experiences. And so uh, I attempted to get the epidural. I don't know if it was effective or not, because I felt everything from top to bottom. I knew when the contractions were coming because I felt them. And I remember there was a time I'm giving birth and doctor's like, oh my gosh, you're doing so well. 
you're not X, Y, and Z or A, B, and C, and D. So I wasn't like, I guess, swooping and hollering and crying. My tolerance for pain was high, but I was definitely in pain, a lot of pain, excruciating. But because I was not expressing it in the way that she was accustomed to, that she had seen before, she equated that to me being okay. Hmm. And I was not okay, which she later found out after, you know, aura came out and I continued to hemorrhage and bleed. I was not okay. But even in that moment, I was still not expressing pain and distress in the way that she was accustomed to when and, and, and taught. And so that's like, yeah, that was kind of like a scary because I'm like, oh, she's not seeing this is a, this is this is a moment here, like I'm not okay. And then I remember seeing her eyes and she realized, like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing what her body's doing. She's not okay, but her her affect, yeah, how she's responding is not hysterical or what um what I'm accustomed to seeing. And so easily then I could not have that care that I received that that I needed to even be here having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I and I love that you brought up earlier, this extends beyond class and education and so many other things. And I mean we saw it even when Serena had her birthing scare. You know, and, and it's like, this is someone who we know, well, we can assume is very physically fit and healthy, has the money to afford great doctors and insurance and whatever else that she needed. And even she was brought close to her death and giving birth. And I know when I worked at a drug treatment program for women with children, and all of them were, most of them at least, were Medicaid recipients. And I remember being shocked by the amount of women who had C-sections to where it was, it became surprising for someone to have said that they had a vaginal birth. And I was like, something something is weird about that. That doesn't mm-hmm. seem normal and right. And, and again, in, in prepping for this, I was looking up some stuff and sure enough, <laughs> sure enough, there's plenty of research that shows that a lot of times people who are Medicaid recipients, the decisions are being made for them. Yeah. And they're being put in situations to have C-sections or induced labors for the sake of convenience and not always necessarily to save her life or the life of the child. Yep. And that's a surgery. That ain't no flim flam. It's a major surgery. They literally come. On top of, yeah, like after that major surgery, there is still the expectation that you take care of the child. The house has to be cleaned that you go back to work within six to seven weeks. Um, so now you're working, child is in daycare, you're commuting back and forth. And so there's just like a lot of different things that I think are not openly discussed, I think in a very authentic manner, that's not like angry or pointing the finger, where these are things that women are like dealing with. And trying to balance, I was like, who can I talk to about this? Because it seems like this is what everybody is doing, but it's really, it's not okay. It doesn't feel good. And there's not really a safe space to talk about the struggle of how do I balance all these things and still be a good mom, Mm -hmm. still provide a house, still uh, be nurturing, still be a provider, which a lot of women end up having to be in some, in certain extents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, you're right. It's a lot to to take on. And even thinking about that jumping back 
being at, having to manage things and then jumping back in at that six to eight weeks, which is just absurd. If you think about all that someone has been through, all of what it actually looks like in those early stages of an inf- of infant care. <laughs> you have time to rest your body and heal and do all those things. And then you're supposed to jump back into work. Yes. And I guess with my experience, so I did go back to work at six weeks. I did have a major surgery after Aura was born and I was breastfeeding. And even with breastfeeding, that was something, uh, an uphill battle because HR sometimes are just like, I got this, these emails about putting my breastfeeding time in conjunction with my lunch break time. And so that was, that was a discussion. So I ended up being able to have that so that I would have time to actually prep the equipment to actually relax myself enough so that the milk would uh, come then to clean up, to eat something because you need to eat because you're burning calories like 24 seven. I actually lost a lot of weight after or was born so much that it was almost startling to a lot of people to store the milk. And then because I was a therapist to prepare myself mentally and emotionally to see someone right after I had done all these things and then pick her up from school and the back and forth. But there was, I guess, after a month or two, there was this discussion with, are you still breastfeeding? What? Is she still breastfeeding? Or is she just using these breaks? So uh, there are these. <laughs> nah. <laughs> See, and that's stuff that you should not have to deal with. You, you Like everything you just described is like a lot. And then for somebody to come through and question, mm-hmm. you just you just you just taking the extra time just to to BS around. Excuse me, I'm trying to feed my child. <laughs> yes, because we had one other person here that she was also breastfeeding, but she stopped after a year. Like I said, I continue, which you can, um, but because she had stopped, I was being compared to her, and so. It's not really, um, even though it's like, like oh, breastfeed is very natural. It's, it's awesome. It's not as supported as people think it is, especially for African-American um, women. You get a lot of pushback. It, it shouldn't be odd. It is actually a very odd thing. And you're someone who can advocate for yourself. Like you don't mind having that challenging conversation of and setting that boundary and being like, this is what's going to happen and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But there are so many women who don't, who will just say, okay, yes, I'll use my, you know, they might have a 30 minute break. I'll use my 30 minute break and try to pump and all yeah. of that. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Because each of those situations, like, and so he understood the like, that still was very uncomfortable for me to have to even have that conversation. You know, I even have to sit down with myself like, okay, I have to have this conversation. I feel bad that I have to have this conversation. There's someone thinking negatively about me that I'm abusing this time, but I'm not just for my child. But like you said, there's women that are just like, girl, I'm going to lose my job. HR don't email me. My supervisor don't came and spoke with me. Let me just figure this out. Or, you know, better yet, because it's just so time consuming. That's how children end up on formula when they might not want to be because it is actually to be even if you are able to breastfeed there are times that I thought to myself are you doing are you doing too much Tony you doing the most mm-hmm. just go by the formula 
about a formula. You, you, you're doing too much. It'll be easier. You can go to work. You won't have these issues. But it's like, this is something that I wanted to do. And my body is actually allowing me to do it. So in some instances, some women's bodies will not allow them to do it. And so there's no issue with using formula or not. But I guess the issue is having the choice yeah. if you're able. And that choice could have actually been taken away from me if I wasn't able to advocate for myself in that way. Or if my employer was not supportive of me continuing to breastfeed her outside of what they thought was the norm thinking about the choice of it like you're right like you women should not be pushed families in general like your family planning decisions and how you choose to raise your children and how you choose to nurture them should not be dictated by your employment and what's convenient for them mm -hmm. but there are lots of things in our lives and in our family planning and all of those things that tend to be dictated by people's jobs and that's crazy it is. <laughs> and so many other things. And it's like, you know, I know we know each other, but it's like, I guess as, we're, as we probably continue to talk, there's so many things that I kind of um, I digested and kept to myself. But, you know, I like, these are the moments that I think moms have on like a day-to-day -day basis. It is just like, I can't even talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. I have to keep this to my I got to keep this to myself. I remember seeing a client and I was actually pregnant at the time and she had like three kids, but she was pregnant. She was pregnant too. She was just telling me about how she has to figure out how to go back to work. And so she couldn't take the six weeks. She was trying to figure out who she could get to watch her baby at two weeks old. Oh God. And you know, I held space for her. Mm -hmm. It's like my heart was breaking because I know that's not what she wanted to do. But she was crying because I can't afford to take six weeks. And six weeks ain't nothing, actually. If you've ever seen a six-week-old baby, and that's a six-week-old healthy baby. Yeah. That's like, that's a great birth. That's everything's clicking. They're healthy. Two weeks. That's, she's figuring that out. How do I find someone to watch my child at two weeks? that I can go back to work at my hourly job. And like she said, find somebody because most people know uh, that a baby does not need to be separated from their mom at that time and they don't want the responsibility. Nobody, everybody's like, whoa, two weeks. You can't even take a child to a daycare until what, six weeks? And some may have it even like a six little Six weeks. Six is like the bare minimum that you can put a child in daycare. And why would you want to? I think, I mean, most parents don't want to, to drop their no. infant. Off that young at a petri dish called daycare <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean it's uh man i i'm, I'm glad we're having this discussion because it's like there were there were so many things going on at that time between like me getting pregnant and my the pregnancy the change in support systems during that time and even afterwards till now and like I said, it's not a safe space to talk about postpartum depression. I can definitely say that on top of the trauma associated with what happened after or was born, stuff going on with my family and postpartum depression, there was no space for me to even to deal with that. And I was on Instagram and uh, 50 Cent, he's 
all things very controversial. <laughs> yeah. And there's this clip where he's saying that depression is a luxury. And I was reading through the comments, reading through the comments. And um, the, the part that I think he was trying to express was to be able to experience the symptoms of depression and process what you're feeling without having the obligation and responsibility to take care of things that if you don't do it, you won't have these dire consequences. I still had to go to work or still needed to be taken care of. House needed to be clean, uh, food needed, so I, I had this whole idea or never ate baby food. I made, I made all her baby food. You did. I made it because I, I, you know, I was. I remember, um, you know, I was pregnant. I was looking at the grocery. So I was like, "It's baby food on this Friday to 2026." <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure my baby did. I said, like, "This got him gentle baby food." What the hell? Like, this is these peas still good? Life for real? So. <laughs> I was like, well, no, we're not going to do that. But the people who normally make homemade baby food come from two-parent homes. They're well-kept or, you know, they have some sort of support. I didn't have those things. And so the stuff that I was doing, I was pushing myself and creating another version of myself to make this stuff happen while trying to maintain the foundation of my household job and everything financially. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's very interesting, just like, like I said, this, this push that you have to do all these things, but parents are people. Yeah. Yeah. And it was very difficult being a, a person, just Tony by herself. I'm, you want to do it right. A lot of women describe this space as, this is very lonely. Especially like I was reading some things with people talking about how the shift goes, like when you're pregnant and you're carrying a baby, it's all oh, you're cute. I want to touch the belly. What do you want to you do? What do we name the baby? And then the baby comes and there's excitement over the baby. Yeah. But ain't nobody really worried about you. <laughs> people don't really come by to, you know, they, they checking on the baby. <laughs> they want to know what's going on for the fun, cutesy part of things but really aren't there for the parts that you're describing, like those. And that support is so important, but it's also, yeah, like you say, because what you're describing, it sounds lonely to feel like, how can I even express to people what I'm going through without receiving even their judgment and stigma because I'm supposed to be happy new mom. Yeah. I just loving all things, baby. But like you said, I'm a person. <laughs> I'm a person. I was alone. So the, the, when I brought Aura home, oh my gosh, when I brought Aura home in the hospital, because of, like I said, I had the surgery, seven thirty. If I, I was producing milk, not enough. But there was some guilt there. Like, oh my gosh, my body is not doing what I want it to do. I can't even produce food for my child. I'm going to have to use this formula that the hospital is giving me that I'm going to have to buy for me. But I'm like, okay, I I really want to breastfeed, really want to breastfeed. And so I remember I got home with her and I was alone that night. And about two, three o'clock in the morning, I wake up and I'm crying. 
the milk has come. Mm -hmm. um, I had two bricks sitting on my chest. I can't describe it. It hurts so bad. I'm I'm like a, a, a 30 regular right now, probably a 30, 34, 32A, you know. And uh then you wake up and you are all things grown woman. And it's it's not soft, it's it, they're hard. And I had this baby that has never, so she's sucking. And she can't suck enough to get the milk out. And I we I was crying. And uh, she was eating and I was just sitting there crying. It was dark and it was just us two. Mm. And uh, there were many nights like that. And then you got to get up and go to work the next day. Or I want to provide enough milk to send to the daycare on top of feeding her. So it, it was, it was you're, you're, you're pulled and you're stretched trying to do the right thing. And I would definitely say whether a woman is married or not married, you can't really dictate what happens. You definitely require support. It's not, it's not supposed to be a one-band show. I can definitely say that. But you're, the, the loneliness, there, there are times when it's just like, I can't call nobody at 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> like you can't. Well, I'm calling yeah. 3.30 in the morning to come sit with me while I'm crying and the baby's breastfeeding and it's just me. That's, that's something personal that, that I think a lot of moms deal with but I, I think it's great when there are moms that have partners that are supportive and can be there because sleep mm -hmm. is important eating is important not feeling obligated to do those mundane household tasks is important someone taking the babies if you can just be with yourself and your body um, for a moment is important and sometimes I didn't get a lot of those opportunities to do that so you're you're going, 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 going. And what you're describing, even with that type of self-care that's needed, mothers not getting that or taking the time for that is also what does feed into some of this. Like I said, that after that maternal mortality rate is stretched up to a year after childbirth. And a yep. lot of times things happen because of that, not having the one, if you, if you had a terrible experience dealing with doctors and childbirth, you might be less inclined to go to your aftercare appointment. Mm -hmm. um, if you got time, <laughs> if you even have time and energy to do so on top of struggling to find time to eat regularly and just, just that stuff, like these types of things just pile and stress. Yeah, and there, there were pockets where I would try to find myself. I know I found her daycare close to my job. And so I was like, okay, I can, I can run after I get off of work. So I would run for like, I would literally change my clothes after I got off of work. I would run for like 30 minutes. And I was happy, but then life comes and it erased all that. So I lost that. And then it's like, okay, how do I regain some of that? That of which like allows Tony to have Tony time. And so that, I think that's really just been my overall struggle. Like where do I fit in, in all of this? Because parenting comes through me and if I don't feel like me, what am I providing? to her, what am I providing to myself? And so I think that's that's kind of been my off and on thing, like where 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 do I fit in? I've had these moments, so I'm running, this is cool. I'm doing this, this is cool, but then life comes. And if she's the main focus, all my energies go there and there's nothing left 
for me, right. even my hair. Um, you were there for her first birthday. I had a little poof, girl, the poof. I actually cut all my hair off because I realized there was not going to be enough time for me to take care of my hair and her hair at the same time. Yeah. And there has not. She's six. I cannot. I'm looking back on it now. There wouldn't. There has not been a time where I could say I could could have went to a Dominican salon or a high end salon and got a blowout to maintain my hair or someone to color my hair for me or trim my ends for me. The only thing that I could think of was. I can go to a barber shop. Mm-hmm. So I have not grown my hair up. That, that is why I cut my hair off. So I knew I wasn't going to have that opportunity to even do those things. Like even now, my nails aren't done. Sometimes I can do that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I can't. Let's see, Sue, like we can't pour from an empty cup. Like we literally can't. And we can't borrow from our future. Something is being sacrificed somewhere. When people are burning the candle at both ends. Uh, but there are a lot of people, a lot of women doing that for the sake of their children. Or says these things. And so yesterday she was taking a bath and I was uh, coloring my hair. I was like, Mom, what you doing to your hair? I was like, I'm just trying to get myself together because I, I, I wasn't taking care of my hair like I supposed to. I wasn't conditioning it to stand in third. And she was like, yeah, Mom, you need to do better. I said, but your hair was taking care of. She's like, oh, yeah, my hair always was. I was gonna, she's like, mom, you need to take care of your hair too. You take care of you too, mom. But even in that, like you said, you know, even in her innocence, you know, her like, mom, you need to, you know, do something with what you got going on. Like, yeah, do that. Color your hair, do something. Just even in me not looking like how I would like to look, she's okay. Her hair is braided. She got barrettes, moisturized. She got hair products. And here I am. I'm walking around in my. Sh- it's a little bit of blonde. It's a little bit of black. It's kind of. It's doing this curly situation. I ain't really too cool with right now. Mm-hmm. I would add, we should also be teaching self care to kids and how you take care of yourself. So if your whole parenting experience around this like self sacrifice type yeah. of thing and not caring for self, then we're, we're teaching that. Yep. And I struggle with that a lot. So I had like, that was, that was my moment yesterday. I said, Tony, get it together. Cause she looks at you every day, all the time. And so it's this push and pull. Cause I can't beat this self-sacrifice thing when she leaves the house and she's looking at Macklin and I'm just looking like who did it and what because she's still looking at me she's a a mirror a reflection but it's also like this you're right you can't pour from an empty cup I can't teach her something that I'm not doing for myself and me constantly working on ways to fortify myself or get myself to this level to where I have extra so, so that I feel good and that she's good too, not to just she's good and I'm not good. But that's what goes on for a lot of moms. Girl, you're looking busted, but your child look good. When do you find time to sit down at the nail shop for an hour? So it's, 
where do you find time to maintain yourself in the midst of that yep and i imagine during this you are who you are you are a compassionate nurturing person and some of these things were characteristics that you had prior to your daughter being born but when i think of someone who maybe didn't have all of those qualities prior to their child coming and then struggling and, and going through some of these experiences, like it can make parenting one unpleasant, but it can be, it can cause a lot of resentment. So that struggle can cause resentment towards a child. Yes, it can. And I know that we were talking just off offline, but I was, uh, like I said, prior to us having this, I was in the bathroom and I was kind of getting myself ready. I was just like, I didn't have a placenta before I had aura. Like, my body created a whole nother organ to make sure that she got the oxygen, the, the nutrients, everything that she needs. So when I ate, she got it, like off rip. Filtering system, it was all in there. And our body naturally created that. But we have to continue creating <laughs> versions of ourselves to give extra to our children. Hmm. And there is no outline for that. You have to continue fortifying and creating nothing. And I'm gonna cry. Uh, there's, there's always these versions of Tony that are being created. I didn't know they were there. I didn't know. You know, uh, Thompson parents said that they're tight. You know, I, I went to college now. I, I remember I was, I was doing face stuff. Like I was taking 18 hours, you know, at one point in time I had two. I had two work study jobs. I was part of an organization. I was volunteering. So I, I was tired. But I remember going to Miami the first time in college. I was talking to my friend. I don't remember sleeping. Like I swear to God, I don't remember sleeping. <laughs> we drove there first off. We got there like two, three o'clock in the morning. We immediately got dressed and went out. I don't remember a time we were asleep. So there are times when I have not been asleep. None of those times equate to what I've experienced with having a child. And there is nothing that can necessarily prepare you for that. And you don't know if you have it in you until it comes. Mm -hmm. And that's the scary part. Because people, you know, like I said, people in the comments on some some stuff, you know, oh, she should have known, and you're a mom, and you're a dad, you're a parent. That's a, you don't know. You really don't know. You would like, I, I can say this, based on your past experience and who you define yourself as, character-wise, integrity-wise, that's what you would like to think that you would do. And I think that's great, but you actually don't know what you would do until you are faced with all those things at the same time. And there's a person depending on you. You don't know. And so, yes, it's be, like I said, I'm, I'm finding out these different versions of myself that I had no idea that existed. I didn't know I could function off of no sleep, literally. I didn't know that I could train myself now because my daughter has recently been diagnosed with a uh, 
a chronic autoimmune disorder. She has diabetes type one. I get up, my sleep is interrupted every day because I get up at two o'clock in the morning to check her blood sugar. So most people have trained their children at some point in time, six, they sleep. You and your mom in my room. I have to get up and make sure that she's okay because if not, if it's too high, that's not good. And if it's too low, that's definitely not a good thing. So that is now part of my routine. And you can't prepare yourself because you really don't know. So that's why I, when I talk to people, they're like, you know, people are pressured. Wait, wait a minute. Don't fall into the hype. Children are beautiful. Like I, I you know, you know that I, I think children are like cool. They're pretty awesome, but they're their own people. I'm getting to know her and she can get something every day. You have no idea what's gonna come up next. Like I said, I had her for six years and we went through different things. And now when she had to go to the hospital, I have a new child. I have to do totally different things. So I'm relearning. And so there's another placenta, another version of me, another something that I had to create to be able to give her the things that she needs because it has to come through me. It can't come from nobody else right now. And I think that's the part of parenting that people don't talk about enough. Yeah. That you're going to be constantly pushed to the edge of yourself that you didn't even know was an edge. And then you're going to have to overcome that edge if you want to, if you, if you want to do that correctly. Yeah. If, you, if you want to get over that and help them in a way that you weren't helped. There's so much about the parent-child nurturing, caretaking relationship that really has the ability to grow a person in a lot of ways, but in a lot of very painful ways, a lot of very, because what you're describing is like, on the one hand, I can see like, I can't help but think of the the beauty, the levels of empathy, you know, the new levels of, okay, I'm, you know, for this child and the new levels of nurturing and new levels of empathy and the things that can be really great and beautiful for a soul, but the, the work and the things that you have to overcome to get there are, I mean, what you're describing sounds so like, uh, like wrenching mm-hmm. and painful. And okay, so I'll use breastfeeding for instance. You know, people see these pictures of, like, oh my gosh, the baby and the breastfeeding, the center there. Okay, so before I even I got to that point at some point in time to where it was just like, boop, on the nipple it didn't matter where we was we could be in the store in the car she latched on we're good i'm on my phone she she handling her business for a minute it was very painful it hurts there were times when she was nursing and getting all the nutrients that she needed and i was crying and i couldn't do anything but hold her and cry but she was getting everything that she needed. And so during that time in my pain, I was building myself up so that in the future, which would eventually happen to where she could just laugh, you're good. It's almost like strength training. You know, there's growing pains in parenting. There was nothing beautiful about that breastfeeding situation when it started that that first night from the hospital. I was hurting so bad and she was getting everything that she needed to survive 
through me from my body at my expense until I toughened up until my nipple toughened up enough and that my body acted to produce enough milk to satiate her to where it got, it got comfortable. She's done it at the barbershop before. So there was a time I put her underneath the cape. She got in my lap. It was like, what's none of your business? She underneath the whole cape. I'm getting a haircut. Like that's, that's the point to where it got to, to where it was like a no brainer. But I had to go through that process to even get to that point. And that's, I think that's always something that is happening. We don't talk about that. That it is the constant process constant growth process as someone who is not a parent. I think about that because I think about how much growth I've had as an individual and the hardships that come. And I think, gosh, like imagine if there was another person that had to be cared for during this and is watching me go through this and Mm -hmm. needs me during this. Like that is what continues to cause me to have more empathy for parents and the experiences that Mm -hmm. they have. Yep. So like even recently I had the epiphany. I remember my dad passed away in 2008. And so over that time, I've just thought to myself how old they were mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was there. So um, my mom got married when she was 18. She had me when she was 21. Mm-hmm. I think my dad was 25 at the time. They stayed married for 14 years. So nobody was 40 when they got divorced. I watched my parents grow up. Yeah. I watched them continue to grow up after the divorce, even when they remarried. And I thanked my mom and let her know that I appreciate her authenticity for allowing me to watch her go through the process of life. Because all of it is not, some of it has been very beautiful. But some of, this, some of it has been like, this is real life. This is life. And she has been a, a pillar and example of this is how you persevere through things like this. And I, you know, I wish I could tell my dad that, but I think I would hope that he knew. I was watching him grow up too. I remember my parents knew you. There was a time when my dad could do a handstand and walk backwards on his hands. You were in your 20s. That's Things that people can do in their 20s. My mom played tennis. I remember watching her play tennis. She was fast. She was quick. And she was left-handed. I know that about her. You know, and so I think about Aura's. She's watching me at the same time. And hopefully at some point in time, if she has questions, I can be honest with her about what was going on with me during particular times, or if she has, you know, questions. Why did this happen? What happened with you and such and such? I can, I can be honest with her, but yeah, she's watching me. Like, right, she, she's watching me in my adulthood try to figure out life right now. In real time. In real time, like she's watching me do this. And you know, the crazy thing about she trusts me. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. To care for her. Because you then you're developing her sense of, of security and stability. I wonder about the work that goes into wanting to be authentic and genuine, but also not wanting to make your struggles your child's struggles. 
I'm very aware that at no point in time is she ever my safe space. <laughs> is she ever my container? Regardless of what happens, like that's that's my stuff. Like that that I think that's another reason why I'm thankful. I have adult friends. I have other adults that I can confide in to talk about these things so that she can be six. Because I can definitely recall times when I had been privy to information I should not have been privy to at a certain age. Whether they told me or because of my level of awareness, which was ridiculously high for some reason, I didn't have enough of nothing to be able to make sense of that. My memory is ridiculous. I'll tell my mom things sometimes. She's like, why did you know that? Why did you know that? I didn't tell you. I just, but it was too much for me to be able to manage. And it was very heavy. And so I try to keep some of this heaviness of life and situations away from her because what can you do with it? You're six, you ain't got no control over it. There's nothing, you can't make nothing shake, you can't make anything move. You just be holding it and it's heavy. And not even know what to do with it because you don't have the experience or life or nothing. Nothing, you're just holding it. So I don't give her those things. But what would you say that being a parent or, or the process of, of being a parent has taught you about just Tony, you as an individual? Yeah, there's more to me than I, than I knew existed. There is so much more to me than I knew existed. And I would not put the burden and say like, oh, have a child because they're going to push you to these new heights. Like, you know, I, I went to school and I've always pushed myself. So it's not, you've, I, I had, you know, you think that there's a 12 feet. It's the 13th, it's the 14th. It's, there's, there's depths to this. And if I'm going to give her what she needs, I have to be brave enough to go there with myself. I can't pretend to like, let's just, like I was saying, sometimes I'm in these phases where I'm like, I have these high moods and I have these very low moods or I'm not feeling great. I have to figure out what is that about because that impacts her. I can't skim over that because that impacts my parents. That impacts when I pick her up, my ability to do things with her, my ability to communicate with her, to create space. So I have to be constantly exploring myself and that's uncomfortable because when you're by yourself you can ignore yourself because who is affected nobody yeah not for real like if i'm gonna talk to my friends i gotta talk to them about and if i talk to my friends i don't have to talk to them about that because i can create some space between that i can give my coworkers just what they need but when you have a child they there they be there Maybe Ashley, and I'm saying I ain't used a bathroom myself in six years. I ain't used people don't talk, so that's two people don't talk about. I mean, of course, if she with her dad or she went, you know, my mom, I ain't used a bathroom in six years. You think she give a damn if I'm in there peeing? No, mom, listen to this. I gotta tell you something. Can you believe? And I'm on the toilet. Wow, just listen. Just listen. So that's not private. She might take a bath by herself. I'm not taking a shower by myself. Mom, what you doing? 
taking a shower. For real. What are we finna have for dinner? You're constantly having to be in touch with yourself. And I think as therapists, if you're on that, you know, it's a spectrum. If you actually, most therapists, the things that they learn is actually about yourself. Mm -hmm. Those theories, of course, you learn them, but it's for you to gain awareness about yourself so that you therefore know how to apply those interventions and sit with other people as they figure out themselves. Because they're going to touch on things, whether they mean to or not, in your life. And what they touch on, are you aware of what they're touching on so that you can use it or not use it? So, like for instance, I don't know, it was a weird thing when I worked the right side up. Uh, my dad had passed away and I came back there. Everybody did it. Everybody on my case, like, ain't nobody got no dead. Ain't nobody got no dead. Nobody. 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 <laughs> Everybody dead is gone. So, I'm doing all grief work. Can you imagine if I had said I'm gonna skim over that? I couldn't skim over that. Every session, they're touching on something. So I had to be in tune with myself so that when they're talking, I could give them what they needed for them that wasn't selfish or me. Well, you just gotta get over it because I ain't had, I can't do that. So with her, I can't do that. I was gonna be looking at Tony all the time. And I think that's the part that is not talked about. You're going to have to be looking at yourself, parts of you that you didn't even realize. You didn't know You didn't know it was there. Like I said, I didn't know I could be that time. I had no idea because it was just for me. I have, if I didn't feel like getting up, I, I didn't know that I could be that sad and still had to get up the next morning and do something for so much. That it wasn't sad. She in a great mood. She had a great day. Um, I picked her up some days. How was your day? Amazing. Wonderful. It was great. Now I got to tap in. My day might have been crap. Hers was amazing. But I look like she on her day. <laughs> to having to be, like you said, constantly tapped into yourself. And on some levels, I think while it sounds hard, challenging, like a lot of things. It also does put you in a position of like, okay, I can't skip this. And, and a very necessary part of, I think, just being a person, like we should be self-assessing. We should be trying to find those places and areas of growth. And I think having a child who, like you said, is looking at you, questioning you, doing all these things, it like pushes and almost forces you into that state of, are you going to do this self-assessment? and figure out a way to, to work through this? Are you gonna double down on your BS? And you know, that's, <laughs> that's a thing too. That's what, I like how you said, that's what it is. It's a constant self-assessment. That's what it is on a day-to-day basis, even the simplest things, okay? I might wanna sleep in the bed. Why you wanna sleep in the bed? What's going on with you? No, I gotta get up. She need breakfast. I'm gonna get her breakfast, but what's going on with you that you wanna just sleep in the bed all day? What's going on? Whereas before, I'm gonna sleep in the bed. I ain't gotta talk about it. I just 
sleep in the bed. Yeah. I just, I just do that. But now it's just like, what is going on with you that you don't want to get up? That the only reason you get up because she needs something. What's wrong with you? It's not her. What's wrong with you? So yeah, it's not all this. Sometimes it's really good, but yeah, you're having to look at yourself. And kids are very, they're genuine. They're new to this world. That's one of my favorite things, though, about youth, because if people are open to it, they do put you in a position to have to challenge your perspective on things, challenge why you do certain things, and really have to explain it. Because a lot of us are running on autopilot Mm -hmm. and just rerunning the same programs that were given to us. And then this kid comes along and is like, explain this concept to me because I don't understand it. And you're trying to break it down into childlike terms, trying to get in. You're like, you know what? Hmm. Ain't no sense. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why we do that. You know, they, I just, I love that about, about interacting with you. That's their point, a part of their purpose, I believe. They're really cool. So like last night, or taking a bath, whatever, and I was doing my hair. And she was just like, where we keep blood at? <laughs> and so- I said, well, I showed her my wrist. And I said, you see those blue, blue lines? And so she's like, she's like, yeah. I said, those are veins. So then she started asking me questions about, well, tell me about the brain. Tell me about the eyes. How do we think? What happens if our brain is outside our bodies? What's the air? So it's like, it makes you think about, I, I, I want to be knowledgeable. I want to know what I'm talking about. I can't be this because... She actually wants to know. And I had this thought about my dad. And I miss him so much sometimes. But when, when I was younger, even before he passed, we'd have these conversations. And he was like, Tony, you've got questions. I got answers. And he always had answers because he, he, read, so, he, he read a lot, read so many books. Even though he downplayed himself, he spoke several languages, was a fast learner. And if he didn't know what he found it out, even we were taking walks, he'd be like, what kind of tree is that? I'd be like, I don't know. He's like, that's deciduous. That's a deciduous tree. You know, so everything, (laughs) everything was broken down all the way down to like, even when we were talking about sex or STDs, everything was broken down in a way that was very like informative to where I could understand it. And I appreciated that. But I can see how that kept him sharp because if I had questions and you said you had answers, that means you need to do some research. That means you had to do self-assessment. That means you had to be authentic. Because I know when I got older at some point in time, we talked about the divorce, my mom, this, that, and the third. It's learning process for him because I think about it. They were young. I'm not 40. Everybody's in their 30s. I have been grown for forever. And um, him talking about his decision-making process and being authentic about that and saying, take your time when you're making these choices because they're life-changing. And at the time, you might not realize it. And um, so I want to be able to, at some point in time, get that her because she's not going to be asking me about math. She's not going to be asking about what kind of tree this is or the biology stuff in the book. Just going to be asking me about why, why do people do that? How come this person hurt me? 
they said that they would do this, but their actions show different. And I need to be able to pull experiences and be honest with myself when I give her answers. And so she's six, but those are things that I think about. And like I said, I'm thinking about just my life. What is it that I want to show her? What do I have going on now? What would I like for things to look different? So yeah, parenting is a is not something to take light. Like there are light parts. Kids are funny. But then there's also, like I said, this those growing pains. You got to grow yourself to provide to this person. And it's not always financial. And that is, you need to grow as a person, build your endurance, your self-control to be able to remove yourself sometimes. I love that you highlighted just that self-reflection piece. And that's such an interesting point of bringing up of like the types of questions that kids are going to have for for their parents, for their families, uh, for the people they trust to guide them in life and explain things to them. Yeah, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be these textbook answers of, you know, oh, math and science. It's these life questions. Questions. And when you said that, on the one hand, yes, how, how beautiful if you are in that position and take that time and have that honesty. And then I also think like, it's one of those things that's like, hmm, I can also see how that can be how that can irritate a person, how that can irritate a person's whole soul. You know, if you're not ready to talk about those kinds of things, because you haven't found those answers for yourself, um, here they come. And I guess that's, you know, as as therapists, we talk with parents and they're like, oh, my child was so awesome. And so they got to the age of 14 and then they start telling about all the things that their child's under 14. And so then you're like, okay, tell me about yourself. And you get to that point in time when they were 14 and there was some trauma there. They haven't, there was no self-assessment that they just grew up. Yeah. And so now you have this child that is looking at you. Looking at your Your 14 year olds. Look, yes, it's a parallel process happening right now. And it is a glitch in the matrix. I don't like you. You was good when you was 13. 14, go stay with your auntie. Because I'm looking at myself. I never reconciled with that. <laughs> I never did. I don't look at it. Go to your room and get nothing to talk about. And so <laughs> I say it jokingly, but that's what that's yeah. That's what kids will do. They hold a mirror up. So it's just like it's this constant mm-hmm. self-awareness, this self assessment, you getting in tune with yourself because there are gonna be questions sometimes. You're just like, oh, you know, tap into something. I didn't. I didn't do, I didn't do like how I thought I was going to do. Mm. You know, I didn't make it to where I thought I was going to, and my child is aware of that. And if they ask me about it, can I give them an answer in a calm where am I going to double down and be defensive and attack them? Because no, I, I didn't get the big house. No, I, I wasn't, I didn't get married. You know, I, I didn't do this. Can, can I explain my reality? in a way so that they can learn from it. Because it's still a learning process, whether what you intended to happen or didn't happen, letting them know the reason why it didn't happen is they can still learn from that. Yeah. Hey, I I know what that looks like. Don't don't mess with that, don't mess with that brother. I don't heard that story before. Don't go down that route. But be it, and I say being honest, it's just, and I I need to find his name of psychologist. What did he say? And uh, you know, sometimes he says some stuff that's like, 
I'm like, okay, I don't know. But he was uh, saying how um, telling people which way to go and which way not to go is not always this, this moral high ground. Sometimes it's, I love you so much. I don't want you to get burned by the hell that I already walked through. So if I tell you about it, it's not because I'm a better person. It's not because I did something. I don't want, I care for you. I don't want you, I walk there. And I want to be able to be honest with her enough to say, I've seen that. I know what that looks like. And I know what your, what your intentions are. You have beautiful intentions. That's the, that's, that is a breeding ground for, mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. that to happen. And so that, but that takes self-assessment for me to be honest mm-hmm. with whatever situation I'm in at that time to not hold back information or try to put this front on, like, I, I got it together. I, I'm, I'm doing X, Y, no. Yeah. I'm living, trying to figure it out just like you are, but at different intervals of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Tony, for coming and yeah. for being willing to be so vulnerable and share your personal experiences to talk about some of these things that I know impact more than you that impacts so many mothers and people out there thank you for sharing no i appreciate i I was really looking forward to this because like i said i've kind of been in this i don't know what i don't know what it's about but um this is a highlight for me to be able to share some things that i haven't really been able to express in a constructive way that's not like very not overly emotional it's not me overly intellectualizing and trying to make it something it's it was very like authentic, vulnerable. And I think like it, it made sense, you know, based on what we talked about now, I haven't had that in, in a while. So I definitely appreciate you considering me to talk about, you know, some of my experiences and also just some of the not so great things that maybe I, I didn't share because it was just like, it's kind of really very heavy and dark mm-hmm. and but I've been able to make sense of some of those things to be able to share them, you know, at 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 this time. So it was worth it. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Thank you guys so much for listening. I truly hope that you enjoyed this episode. If something in it resonated with you, please share this with a friend and a loved one. You can also leave a rating and a review so other people can find us. Check me out at my website, parentsarepeople.net. You can also find me on Instagram at parents, the letter R, people. And you can come on there to look at some pictures and discuss the episode and find some good quotes and snippets there. Thanks for listening.